This is the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast, where we cover books, beverages, and the general BS of the day. A few disclaimers, we are not literary experts, or experts in anything for that matter, and explicit content should be expected. I am your host, Barry Price. I hope you enjoy the show. Evening, fellas. Howdy. Long time no see. Yes, sir. Been a while. Has been. Jared, what are you drinking? I'm drinking some sparkling water with the lime and some Firefly vodka made in North Charleston. Nice. Sounds good. It's good. John D. I'm drinking a transfusion made with Tito's. There you go. I uh, am drinking some bullet bourbon on the rocks. Yes, sir. I had me several Tito's and Topo, though, leading into the day. We're going to change our name already or what? Uh, you know what? We need to. <laughs> no, we need to. a bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> Russian bookshelf. Yeah. <laughs> or probably already getting censored for yesterday's Instagram posts. I don't know if we. Putin's we puppets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh. The only thing I had to follow up on from the last episode was I think Jared was drinking a bourbon with Topo Chico in it. Yep. And I've done that before, but at the time of the recording, it did not dawn on me to say anything about it. But I am not a fan of that combination. So that's the only thing I had. I don't know why I don't like it. <laughs> what? It's just as refreshing, just, man. I, there's something. <laughs> Or something that just it doesn't mess right in uh, there to me, to me. And then uh, someone had once told me to mix Topo Chico with espresso shots, oh. and I did not care for that either. Uh, that's one. <laughs> John's face. <laughs> <laughs> that's about the face I make when I mix it with bourbon too. So <laughs> yesterday we were drinking a, a drink. We found online called a gold rush. I don't know. Have y'all heard of that? Just from you. Man, we make like, we made a simple syrup, like one part water, one part honey. Heated it up, let it cool off. Add a shot of bourbon. We used old granddad and uh, it was good. Do we? I think we put some lime in there also, a little bit of water. That sounds pretty good. That uh, I could do, I think. Cool. Lemon. It was, I'm sorry, lemon, lemon, not lime, lemon. And he said it was honey and what? Water. One, one part honey, one part. So you want to heat it up in a pot or something, let it, uh, you know, let it uh, thin out a little bit. Yeah, just kind of. You, you, I guess, essentially, you want to melt the 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 honey and let it all fuse together. Let it <laughs> cool off, and it was good. I'll have to try that. That simple syrup's the same thing you do with sugar. Yeah. One part I, sugar, one part water, and heat it up i guess you can do it with like maple syrup too but honey sounded better we usually have simple syrup on hand around here because kathy likes it and yeah whatever she's brewing up on the weekends she's a weekend only drinker <laughs> god bless her oh we that's what i try that's, that's what i strive to be <laughs> yeah me too 
Not all of us can be <laughs> Just got to define weekends. Well, yeah, when do they start in? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my schedule's a little different, you know. My 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 true weekend is Saturday or Sunday and Monday. But, but I still I'm sure starts on Friday, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably Thursday. I don't I don't like to miss a thirsty Thursday. <laughs> and then I got the Tuesday blues, you know, instead of the Mondays. Yeah. So. <laughs> but anyways. <laughs> what kind of what books y'all got, Jared? have Isaac Storm by Eric Larson. John? I have Side Country by John Branch. Looking forward to both of those. I've got Sons of Valor by Brian Andrews and Jeff Wilson, who we had on a while back. So it uh, should be a good discussion. John, you want to rock and roll? Yes, sir. All right. Like I said, I have Side Country. Tales and Death, I'm sorry, I can't read. Tales of Death <laughs> and Life from the Back Roads of Sports by John Branch. And this is a new release. I think it just came out a few weeks ago. Um, I'll start with his definition of side country. It is a place just outside the controlled parts of a ski area, not quite the back country, but beyond the ropes and wild enough. It seduces the daring with the illusion of safety, thanks to its proximity. It is an adventure within reach, but still out of bounds. Yeah, you probably don't have to go very far. Yeah. So he kind of tried to stay with that theme throughout the whole book of wild stuff that's not really controlled, but you're right in the, near and so essentially civilization, mm -hmm. quote unquote. And so it's an anthology of his work from the New York Times. He's a sports writer, but he doesn't write your typical New York Giants wrap-up or preview for the weekend. Um, he always looks for something that's just on the, on the fringe. And so he had, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 of these stories throughout the book. Uh, he starts off with the with an avalanche, which is kind of where the title came from. Is these people were skiing at this uh, ski resort in Washington, but just on the other side of the mountains, a real nice place to ski. Um, there's three thousand foot from the top to the bottom, and so they take a lot of it, the more advanced skiers over there, but it's not controlled. There's not checked for avalanches. They don't apparently on, at ski resorts, they'll go blow up stuff to prevent avalanches and control them. But it's, that side of the, of the mountains not controlled. So several people got into in the middle of an avalanche and a few of them died. And he goes into all the details of how that search went. And even so much as what equipment these guys were carrying to help them in the event of an avalanche, like an airbag, uh, a beacon, a shovel. So they'll ski down with a shovel in case they have to dig their buddy out. But he, uh, I thought they were pretty interesting. The The first part of the book was um, the, the was mostly the kind of the adventurous stuff, the skiing, base jumping, um, climbing. 
he had a like six part series for the Don Wall, which I don't know if anyone's familiar with that. There's a documentary made on it, but it was two climbers that were climbing up the Don Wall of El Capitan in Yosemite, which apparently wasn't possible up to that point to free climb, not free solo. They were still using ropes and camping on the wall, but they spent like three weeks on their successful attempt climbing up. And uh, the main character of that story, Tommy Caldwell, spent six years or so trying to find the perfect route and many failures. So it was interesting to read all of that. One criticism I had of this just being kind of shoved into the book is it was a six-part series and a lot of it was redundant because they were running on a, a weekly basis. So there's a lot of repeating mm -hmm. of information. And I'm like, I already knew that. Right. <laughs> well, they didn't go back and edit it either. I'm sure they just yeah. <laughs> put them all in and published it. That story was cool too, because this climber was a, uh, he was in Kyrgyzstan. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Kyrgyzstan. And they got kidnapped by host, uh, terrorists. Oh, shit. And he had to push a terrorist over the ledge at one point <laughs> to escape. And he was he's kind of like this real soft kid. And he felt real bad about it for a long time that he had killed somebody. But a few years later, it came out that he actually, the guy survived the fall. Oh, really? <laughs> He got to have that taken off his chest. Yeah, that's funny. What's the author's name? I John feel like I've Branch. heard that story before. Yeah, I, I think I've heard that one, that story. John Branch is his name. Um, Tommy Caldwell's the climber. But it, this was, um, the book really covers a lot of different topics. I've got them all written down here. A school in Arizona that's mostly Hopi Indian. And they kick ass in cross country. So, I think that's Navajo. Yeah, the basketball. <laughs> See previous episode. <laughs> he spent a lot of time with the school. Can't remember if it was in Missouri or not. No, it was in Tennessee, near in West Tennessee. So between Nashville and Memphis, this correctional school where they send troubled children to um, spend six months to a year and they have a basketball team and there's so few girls there that they actually make the girls play the basket play basketball wow so he was covering the the coach and the team and their kind of their life and their struggles and um i thought that was pretty interesting that was actually a big chunk of the book it's probably 30 percent of it and then he's got another story in there about a everest climb from a a group of Indian men and men and women um, and two of them died and they had to they were trying to get their bodies off the mountain so it goes into that all that went in there with the government trying to get the bodies off the mountain because they were on the route Wait, people what? had to step over them Who, oh, whose the bodies world. like previous climbers I yeah catch that. okay huh, there's a lot up there right now yeah it's kind of a disgrace almost yeah i mean that's your, your trophy but it's actually um i think part of indian culture is they need to have the body to cremate or you can't be uh reincarnated mm -hmm. so it's very important to the wife 
to get the body back of the one man. Yeah. That's a hell of a task though. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure to get to get just a single body down. They had to hire several Sherpa Sherpas uh, really? to bring them down and then get a helicopter. And even that's very dangerous as high as they're up. Right. Yeah. Even going to base camp. Mm-hmm. Jesus. I always thought if you died on the mountain, you stayed on the mountain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I guess not if you're Indian. You can't be reincarnated. Oh. And then there's another um, one he covers a running race out in California that's handicapped. I can't remember the name of the race, but the slower you are or the older you are, the earlier you get to start. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> really? That's cool. And there's no like marked track trail. So you can take shortcuts. Oh, really? Yeah. Try to find your way through. Yeah. Interesting. Apparently it's really hard too. So it was just it was crazy race. And the, one of the runner's world editors ran it once. I think it was Amby Burfoot. You guys might know the name. Um, mm, I'm uh, probably saying it wrong too. They said that it was a once was enough. Yeah. <laughs> That's what everybody says about every race. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It, there's, a, there's an old guy in there that runs it every year, and it's kind of like trying to shoot your age in golf. The older you get, the and as long as you stay good, you're going to keep getting that advantage. Right, keep trying wow. for it. It's and then the, this other story he had was uh, of Steve Kerr. He's the uh, Golden State Warriors. Um head coach and his father was actually the president of american university in beirut and they took everybody out at one point i think it was in the either jimmy carter era or reagan they took all the american embassy people out so he was the highest ranking american official quote unquote in the country and they assassinated him really yeah and so and I didn't know that at all about Steve Kerr. It, it does, but I did really enjoy the the book overall. Sorry, I went for a while there. No, you're fine. I I want to go back to his definition of the yeah. side country. It made me think of there was always, and I'm sure there still is. I'm just not as in the loop. Tons of people that get lost. I'm talking true blue lost in Paladero Canyon. And I just never got it. I'm like, just walk in one direction, in any direction, and you'll hit something. You know, we're 10 miles from town. You just got to get on a yeah. hill. Yeah. Look around for a minute and you'll be fine. I, I mean, you can I can understand getting lost in Appalachia where you can't see five feet in any direction, you know? Right. But I mean, with the you know the the low shrubs and around Paladero, I mean your visibility is a pretty good ways. Oh yeah, you know, big Big Bend the same way. Yeah, but I could understand in Big Bend if you were whacked out on the heat or something. Peyote. Yeah, so far away. So <laughs> I don't know if I've ever told this story on the podcast, but I'm going to tell it now just because you said the word. I one time asked Big Bend National Park on their Instagram where I could find peyote within the park. 
And they said there's none on the United States side, which is, of course, what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I'm – Glad they answered. They answered me. Did you at least ask where it is on the Mexican side? (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, somehow that river just stops it. Yeah. (laughs) Don't come over onto it. That's back on the getting lost topic. Oh, go ahead. I keep a keen eye out for it every time I'm down there, (laughs) and I've got a, I've got a good eye for such things too. So he does. (laughs) He can spot drugs in a. I just meant flora and fauna in general. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and rocks. <laughs> what were you going to say, John? Uh, back on the getting lost thing. Is those trails, too, in Paladero Canyon are very well marked uh, relative to other places I've been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, there's a state park right close to my house that I go to. I've been there four or five times in the last two weeks, and there's just these offshoot trails that aren't marked and i took one the other day and i'm out there a lot and luckily someone was behind me or i would have just kept going i'm like ah i'm supposed to be on switchback yeah why are they why are they heading down <laughs> that happened to me at caprock canyons a while back in the uh in that race i ran it was like mile it was like mile 13 and i was totally over it and i'd been looking for rocks and stuff the whole time and and off of the trail there was just a cattle trail or game trails you know shot off from the main trail i was on and i just went walking off down it you know minding my own business and this lady that's back behind me goes hey man the trail goes over here (laughs) like well shit it's not like me to wander off like that (laughs) But right. same deal though. I wouldn't have gotten lost. I would have just got Down on the, the hill. Yeah, I would have just got on the road right through the middle of the damn place and <laughs> walked one way or the other. <laughs> so sounds like a good book. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I got a I don't have a one star review. I have a um two star review. And this is from a top one thousand reviewer from Vine Voice. Ooh, how do you get that? I don't know. We'll have to look into that. But it's they say it's this is disappointing. The book consists of a series of articles written by the author on various athletes and unusual sporting events. Some of the activities I did find interesting, such as did not find interesting, such as hunting. On the other hand, there is a long section about Tommy Caldwell's amazing free climb of the Don Wall at Yosemite. This section has frequent repetitions and on a whole is not well written. Overall, I found this book to be a disappointment. And that's kind of the stuff I've covered already is that this was a newspaper article in series. So he did have to repeat it. Although Mm -hmm. I, I did find that annoying when I was reading because I'm reading them. I'm what's binge reading them. Oh yeah. A long stint. Go check it out. Um, probably give it a, I don't know, six or seven out of ten. That's kind of harsh, I think. Well, I mean, it's more than five. I finished it. My, I think my biggest criticism was, is that I've left out, is I was expecting 
full-time rock climbing, base jumping adventure. Yeah. Not basketball or uh, dog grooming, <laughs> stuff like that. Just <laughs> bowling. Yeah. Oh, shit. We went bowling a while back, and I hadn't been in forever. <laughs> and damn, I had fun. What a great game. That's right. Up. If you're a golfer, you'll like bowling, too. I mean, it's just go hand in hand. I think the last time I went bowling was with you and I slid up to the line and I was about to cross it. So I hopped and over oh, the line. Oh, yeah. Oh no. <laughs> and, then and landed on. Oh no. <laughs> that sounds like something you'd do. <laughs> oh, to be did, did you release the ball or, or did you ha still have it in your hand when you fell? I had to release it. I was just sliding too far. <laughs> i remember jared i don't this may not have been while you were still at ranger but we used to go to stevenville and it was like 15 dollars all you could bowl for we from like 8 yeah. to 3 a.m or something right. <laughs> Dude, that, those... ne next door to the piggly wiggly it's like Monday night bowling. Yeah, something like cosmic that. bowling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the cosmic. Uh huh. <laughs> All right, Jared. Let's hear about Isaac Storm. Uh, uh, my sister recommended this book a while back. Um, Isaac Storm subtitle: A Man, A Time, and the Deadliest Hurricane in History. And uh, that that still stands to this day. It's still the uh, the. This deadliest. is Hurricane Isaac. No, this is uh, the 1900 storm that hit Galveston. Okay um and it's still to this day the deadliest natural disaster in u.s history oh, wow. and a, a lot of folks don't know that but i guess it happened so long ago but yeah um so isaac klein was the uh head meteorologist in in galveston at the time um so this this kind of rested on his shoulders the the the, the disaster to some extent um the basically boils down to the the weather service uh didn't quite believe they let me back up the the cubans at the time had the best hurricane tracking uh program uh on you know in the gulf uh, yeah. yeah this was before communism <clears throat> uh, yeah this was the, 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 you know, there, there's no there's no radar or anything back in 1900 or, or anything like that, obviously. Um, but, but there was a rivalry between the Cubans and the U.S., their, their weather service. And uh, basically, they didn't quite believe what the Cubans were telling them that this hurricane is is tracking for for the mainland uh, towards Texas. They thought the U.S thought it was going to come and curve up uh towards florida uh, alabama and uh and, and run track run this course like that um and there were ship reports coming in at the time that didn't quite line up with with the american uh, uh prediction uh but eventually they, the 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 u.s thought that the storm had kind of dissipated uh, kind of vanished out at sea when in fact it was building up and making a beeline straight for Galveston. Um, so the folks there never, never evacuated. 
and at, as the storm is coming in, uh, there's reports, uh, newspaper articles, and just personal accounts that people are lined up on the beach to watch how big the waves were <laughs> as the storm was closing in like a huge hurricane. I don't, they, it was like a category four, I think. Um, or maybe a five. I gotta go back and look, but eventually they noticed that, you know, the weather's not looking so great. It's getting really windy out here. And the, the the storm, the tides are coming up. Hey, 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 hey. What? It ain't that the wind is blowing. <laughs> <laughs> it's what the yeah. wind is blowing. <laughs> mm. But um, Isaac Klein kind of, uh, man, he, he uh, his personal account of the storm is pretty crazy. They were housing... I don't know, like 20 or 30 people in their house as the storm was coming in. So the water is coming in, basically lifted their house off the foundation, rotates it in a fashion where the, where the house is floating sideways with, with the current. And he talks about how crazy it was and that uh, he was able to get out with him and his two kids and uh, his brother, who was also working at the weather station um talks about how their dog found them later like as they're floating oh, really? through all the bullshit and uh um you know he's trying to find his wife couldn't find his wife she died in the storm um but pretty pretty insane accounts um like i said all this is is pretty pretty accurate except for the the casualty count um, no one's really sure to this day, still not sure what it, what the final count was, but it's predicted from 3000 to 8,000 oh, wow. people vanished. When I say vanished, I mean, you, bodies were found, but not able to be identified. Mm -hmm. Um, it was pretty common when folks were trying to get back to the Island cause they were completely cut off, um, to get back on the island to repair and just see if how the family was okay it's just you know bodies floating in the water or like just in the rubble and they they originally took all the bodies they could off on a barge out into the gulf to dump them well a couple of days later the bodies start floating back on the beach and whose so idea was that Golly. i don't know this is probably but, isaac Collins. Uh, <laughs> it was seems to have uh, a good track record yeah, yeah. Dude, it, it just sounds like chaos afterwards. It was uh was it martial law? There there oh, was yeah. no there was no like governing body after this. They're completely disconnected. I can't remember the name of the guy that they got to basically run everything, but it, it, it sounded pretty crazy. They were basically forcing people at gunpoint to start removing debris. Um, and just, just oh, wow. bodies out from underneath, uh, underneath the rubble of the city and to, to throw on the pyres. <laughs> so, but so yeah, pretty, pretty crazy. It, it, it's not a scene. I think you want to, you, you would have want to go through. Um, so you said that they, it kind of fell on his shoulders on Isaac Klein's yeah. shoulders. How, aside from people coming in off of ships and being like, Hey, it's kind of windy out there. Mm -hmm how could they have even known something was going on back in those days? 
so uh, the way they made it sound so they should have known that after a while the hurricane wasn't making landfall where they thought it was it was like beautiful weather and so they're like oh well i guess the hurricane kind of disappeared but the cubans were getting reports out at sea that hey there's a serious storm out in the gulf right now and uh so they're able to track it and i think it's because the cubans had so much experience in hurricanes obviously something they get hit every year um that their, their their ability to track it was much better than than the u.s don't ask me how they were able to track it that much better but they just didn't want to listen and so and i think as time went on um Isaac Klein was kind of hand-tied by his superiors in the weather service um, to not get people off of the island. They said, hey, the storm isn't going to hit when obviously he was he he was there saying like there's something serious going on because he's taking data every day, multiple times a day. Like, man, water's getting pretty rough. Barometric pressure is dropping. Like he knew something, something was happening. And this is, I think a couple of years ago, the record was broken, but this was the lowest uh, on the, on the, the barometric scale, the lowest recorded storm in the U S history too. Oh wow! So he knew something was happening, but he was basically handcuffed by his superiors from evacuating the Island. He also, it looks like from my brief research, mm -hmm. insisted on that a seawall was unnecessary. Yeah. Yeah. Well, prior to all of this. Right. Right. And, you know, they got a seawall up a few years after this. <laughs> <laughs> Always be reactive. Uh, yeah. Lesson learned. It actually saved the island from happening, from it happening again. Um, just i think the storm of 1913 john's i don't know if you you have the computer there but anyway the seawall basically saved galveston from an equally if not worse storm 1915 1915 and uh and uh there was a, there was another town up the coast that called indianola I think, and they, there's a monument there, but it was it was a city on the up and up that got completely wiped out of it by a hurricane too. And I think that's up near Port Aransas, pretty sure. But anyway, that little fun fact. <laughs> yeah, com completely wiped the city away. <clears throat> the uh, it's interesting to think about actually having to do science to predict the weather right you know back in those and i know somebody somewhere is still doing science to predict the weather but <laughs> it ain't your local weather <laughs> weather right man. yeah it's like man i can go look at the radar and see that it's gonna rain in a few hours right <laughs> <laughs> so yeah pretty pretty crazy um sounds I, like I a good love book. book yeah, yeah i love the book great i mean eric larson all of his books now this is the only Eric Larson book I've read, but his other <laughs> his other ones are supposed to be fantastic. What else does he have? Uh, this 
he just did one now? about the Nazis or something, didn't he? Yeah, he's got a whole whole list. I don't have it pulled up right now, but what'd you say, John? Give me a moment. Oh, I John, just had it. John's our young Jamie. Yes, sir. Young and Johnny. There's a there's another book. Uh, I, I was just really fascinated by this, you know, the storm of 1900. You know, growing up in the area, uh, Galveston County. But mm-hmm. Al Roker wrote a book on the same subject, but it's not focusing on Isaac Klein. It's just focusing on the island as the a hurricane. Whole. Um, and that was called Storm of the Century by Al Roker. But mm. that was pretty good. Some of it was kind of repeated, but a lot of it is is uh, a little bit different. But, yeah. But the accounts, man, like it, it sounds like just scary. Oh, yeah. Well, it's like hard people, to even imagine being there. Yeah. Like people clinging to trees to not be swept away. I don't know. And just how long they waited. Like there was a point that was just you couldn't. Well, my mind is still on them just taking the bodies out to sea and dumping them. Right. And then them just washing back up. (laughs) They probably didn't even go that far out either, if I'm guessing. No, probably not. (laughs) Probably not. Like half half a mile, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah. A couple of his books, just FYI, are In the Garden of Beasts, Love, Terror, and an American Family in Hitler's Berlin. And Death Wake, the last crossing of the Lusitania, which was a, I believe, a passenger ship in World War One that the Germans sh- sunk. Yep. Well, none of those were the book I was thinking of, but he's got several others. I'm not going to read them all to you. Not go ahead. All I'm right. Kidding. <laughs> I'm well, good. Yeah. Sounds like a good one. Pick it up. That one has come actually heavily requested from our our fan base to cover so mm-hmm. good choice yes sir yes sir but it does come with some one star reviews oh let's hear them. i almost uh, forgot 3700 total reviews uh two weather tech common is too complicated i mean i don't know weather but i still got it to some extent right but- <laughs> I tried so hard to finish. There's nothing enjoyable about this book. I kept reading, dot, 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 and reading, dot, 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 but finally gave up. Uh, too many facts. <laughs> That's the whole point of this mother, dude. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was too true. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> too That's true. somebody that gets too lost in the details. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. when was that second storm? 1915. <laughs> But yeah, jumbled up, jumbled facts with uh, interlaced, interlaced with fiction. Yeah. But well, and we've talked about that a lot too. You almost, you gotta, you know, you gotta have a story in there too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, how does that person know it's fiction? And these stories are are just like handed they down were there. from yeah. people from generation to generation too. So I'm sure some of these stories are, are skewed. I mean, oh, yeah. some extent, as, as, they're handed, as they're handed down. Have yeah. to be. But if you're interested, there's a bookstore in Galveston that has a whole section dedicated to the storm. Nice. <laughs> that's, that's pretty cool. 
Well, and we love us a good local bookstore. So, anyway, all right. Good job, Jerry. Thank you. I had, uh, or I'm doing Sons of Valor by Brian Andrews, Jeff Wilson. We had them on two episodes ago. Yep. To talk about it. And, you know, we didn't necessarily talk a whole lot about the book. Uh, more so just, well, just go listen to it. And uh, I finished the book the other day. Finally, I'd gotten about 90%, 75% of the way through it, probably when we interviewed with them and finally got it done. Uh, great book. Pretty easy read, but does definitely have a lot of military jargon in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that makes it makes it pretty authentic and and uh, oh, what's that? I'm glad they have the uh, glossary. The glossary in the yeah. back, yeah, mm-hmm. that helps. That helps a lot. Yeah, got a whole glossary back there. Um, and the the book ends on a pretty good cliffhanger. I won't go into it too much because once you guys go read it for yourselves, and the something we talked about with them was just kind of how when you're reading the book, you're like, Oh man, is this shit really going on? And by the end of the book, I'm like, this shit's definitely going on. And it's a bit, it's a, <laughs> it's a bit, bit worrisome really, but, but great book, go pick it up, check it out. They've got several others. Uh, I probably would venture to guess a dozen others and, and several more coming. And definitely going to be a sequel to this one. So, based on the ending of it, and uh, really just action packed and and great characters. So, well worth the read. Uh, it's only about four hundred and about four hundred and twenty pages. It really felt like it took me a long time to read it. That's more my fault than the book's fault, I think. And. Uh, it had some one-star reviews, but there was no commentary left on it, so I can't can't say anything about that. Can, Can I go read? back one second? Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you weren't going to spoil the ending for our readers. Mm-hmm. Um, in third grade, we had to do book reports, and one person said, and I'll, have, I'll leave the rest of the book up to you. I don't want to ruin the ending. So everyone in the class started doing that. <laughs> we were only reading half the book. Yeah, nobody was finishing the book. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> I did read the whole book. <laughs> I think we should start doing that. And the epilogue. No one would ever know. <laughs> Yo, I, I'm not done with the book. Not even halfway done, but I like... Man, I really like how it goes. They switch every chapter between uh, Chunk and the Seals and the and uh, I can't even pronounce the dude's name. How do you? Kasim. Kasim. That's how I'd say it. That's how That's I how said I, it. That's how it's yeah. Dude, Kasim. Where in the beginning of the book did you like him at first? Kasim. Kasim. Yeah. Yeah, I I liked him till about page four hundred. Oh shit. <laughs> 300 Damn. we'll say 300 okay no spoilers i'm sorry uh, some people may still like them huh you know depending well, i don't on. i don't think it's spoiling <laughs> the book i think we all know where it's going Yo, <laughs> is, it, is it that easy for people to get sucked in to like a terrorist 
organization like that? I like, I would say yes. Or is it just the book? Like I know it's fiction and you gotta make it interesting, but I would for sure say yes, because you guys may remember I had Wolf Boys on a while back, which is um, about the cartels in Mexico, which is which is different, but same, same. And uh it was it was the same deal as basically like, hey, here's pretty girl and ten thousand dollars. And you're like, all right. Yep. Yep. I'm in. I don't know any better. Yeah. It, it's not like they teach you <laughs> ethics in school. Yeah. Right. So I think it's definitely that easy, especially if they can find something to to fuel it, you know, uh-huh. on the back end, which in this case, uh, he had the fuel of his of his family being killed. So good book. Check it out. It's uh it's out now. I think. Yeah, it's out. It came out early June, so pick it up at a bookstore near you. It's the first of three, right? I think there's going to be three. They put out... They, Yeah. I forgot to bring the book out here with me. My wife's reading it now, so... Great read. Great read. And they've got a, another one coming out in September, so may have them on again. They're willing Hopefully my internet will work. Um, <laughs> so you boys have been awful hard to round up the last month. I'd love to hear about uh, some of your adventures, John. Start with you. Because yours is actually slightly relevant to the show. Jared's, yours are too, but John's is. <laughs> yeah. So my uh... – my parents put together a vacation to Colorado. And so my brother and our spouses decided we wanted to go stay at the Stanley, which for those of you who don't know, that is the hotel in Estes Park, Colorado, that inspired Stephen King's The Shining. Uh, So we uh, booked a room there and just to be clear, this is not where the movie is shot. I think some people are under that impression that it is nothing like the movie. It's only inspired the book. And the I book. think Stephen King is Stephen King is clear <laughs> that that the hotel only exists in his head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he libeled was, have gotten sued for writing that book. <laughs> oh, oh, they they have if they sued him, they they owe him some money because. <laughs> They are running with it. <laughs> Why the, wouldn't you? Yeah. The hotel is pretty damn cool. It's old, as you'd expect. Um, it's just up there in the mountains. and It's not as isolated as like you think uh, the hotel in The Shining is. As the Overlook was, yeah. Yeah. That, that one, I get this feeling that there's nothing around. Mm-hmm. There's just Starbucks in walking distance from Stanley. <laughs> Uh, they're animal hedges. They they are hedges. They weren't there when Stephen King was there, but there's not animal hedges. Uh, there is a hedge. Oh, the hedge maid is actually not in the book. That is actually in the movie. But there is a hedge maze now. Oh. But the hotel's old as shit. There's this <laughs> elevator that's just tiny. I can barely fit in it. <laughs> well. <laughs> and there's only one for the whole hotel and the floors squeak real bad. The doors barely open. 
can't see through the windows. And the crazy thing was, is we were, we stayed on the fourth floor in room 400. It's not on the map. There, there's no 400 listed anywhere on that map. Was it a real room? Yeah, it was. I, Interesting. Supposedly, I slept in a bed, but I was expecting we were about to go through some. What's the other one? He's got the like sixteen, seventeen, or something like that. Oh, uh, sixteen oh four. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or fourteen oh eight. Yeah, that's it. Sixteen oh four is a highway in San Antonio. <laughs> I definitely see how people how he got a little uh, scared there. The floors are really loud. So you're at 4 a.m. Someone's walking down the hall. And you, you think a ghost is coming because <laughs> all the boards are squeaking. And uh, <clears throat> did, did you feel it was haunted? I did not. I was too concerned with how hot it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You said the AC didn't work. What? My my sister-in-law and brother both went and took a walk around the property about 2 a.m. And the, they, they definitely said that they've got some weird feelings. It was definitely, there wasn't 100 people in the lobby. There wasn't even a, someone at the desk. Have they been participating in uh, Colorado's finest? Not at that point. Flora when they were... <laughs> <laughs> I was in charge of the of the of the car, and that car had not pulled into any of those parking <laughs> lots at that point. But because I've been on a few two a.m. walks, and <laughs> you get PBGBs on for sure. They, um, like I said, they didn't have AC, so we had a fan, and it was ninety degrees in our room when we got in there. They have a digital uh, thermostat there that turns but, on the heater, but no AC. Yeah. That morning when we got up, they they were putting out these portable uh, ACs that you have to install in each room. So I was for, grateful for that as we were w- leaving to head to our next house in Colorado Springs that, that we were going to be at for a week that also did not have AC. This is apparently the hottest week that they're probably going to experience. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, you know, in hindsight, that was the week of that big, the big heat wave that yeah. kind of started over the whole country. Yeah. So, you know, there there's a lot of places in in Rio. Well, even your cabin doesn't have AC, does it? No. Yeah. I mean, I've I've been up to Seattle and they don't have AC in their houses for the most part. And of course, we were there in the biggest heat wave of the summer also. Also. <laughs> when at the times I lived in Oregon, none of our none of my houses had AC. And I don't think I ever went into a house that had AC. That's hard for me to even imagine. Mine will if I ever live in those places. Yeah, I, yeah, mine too. The family up in Michigan, they don't. None of them have AC. I bet they got damn good heaters though. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) Ours is like blows air across a candle. Yeah. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's a tiny little fire. Yeah. Yeah. Just a pilot light. That heat wave was pretty brutal here, and then, and then it started raining, and it hasn't stopped. Jesus, for like two weeks, and it's the damnedest thing I've ever seen. I don't even I bet know. The blue bonnets are going to be sweet. Yeah, next, oh yeah, they rain. will. 
maybe this fall, maybe in October down in Big Ben. In a fall bloom. But if you guys are loyal followers of the podcast, you know I don't get a whole lot of rain, and I've been getting a whole lot, almost problematic. If Barry gets rain, he lets us know. Yeah, it's fun. It's a big deal. It's a big event. John was like, John was like, it might be, it might be raining when your fifty miler comes up, and I'm like, I'm like, John, this ain't, it ain't like where you live. It's like it's a big event that rains here. Is it is it as bad as when uh, we went on our Whataburger mission? Yeah, like, it's it's been like that. It's been flooding? like that. It's been like that for ten days. Jesus, twenty four seven. That's insane. It hadn't been that severe though. It's just been like <laughs> it's that. It's been that level of flooding, but without the the violence behind it. <laughs> I remember when I was driving from Amarillo to dallas one time i was probably in college or in high school and i was in the worst rain i'd ever experienced that rain is what it's like when it rains here anytime yeah (laughs) (laughs) every other day yeah um i wanted to i had i wanted to follow up on the hotel oh have I ever told you guys my story of staying at the Drury Hotel in downtown San Antonio? No. So we went down for Christmas. We'll make sure my son's not around because he doesn't need to hear about this. We went so down. Go back. Yeah. <laughs> we went down to for San Christmas. As, I guess it's two years ago now, pre before COVID. And uh, stayed at the Drury Inn in downtown San Antonio. It used to be a bank, but it's an old-ass building. It's been there since, like, the 1910s or something. And uh, I was working the whole time we were down there. And so the first night we were there, there was a, something woke me up in the middle of the night. It's a loud-ass bang. And I woke up, and Kathy woke up a while later, and I was wide awake. She's like, "What? why are you awake? And I'm like, ah, I think there was an earthquake is what I told her. And uh, and then that next morning, or is that next afternoon, my Uber driver was bringing me back to the hotel from work, and he goes, "Where are you, you're staying at the Drury?" And I said, "Yeah." And he goes, "He goes, you know that place is haunted, don't you?" And I said, "Nah, nobody said anything like that to me." And uh, so that night, my wife gets woken up by a loud bang, similar to what woke me up. And then my dog was walking around the room and he kept going around and he'd look up and like, you know how dogs turn their heads when something's kind of, yeah, like (laughs) catching their attention. He is walking all around the room like he was following somebody and kept turning his head like that all for a while. 20, 30 minutes was doing that. And then he went and laid down in our son's bed, which he never does because he always sleeps with me. And it's just like one of those sayings, like watching that. And then, oh. and then the next night, it, Luke woke up at like three or four in the morning, and he was up drawing. And we go, Luke, what the hell are you doing? It's four o'clock in the morning. And he goes, he goes, I kept hearing girls laughing in the hallway, and I couldn't sleep. <laughs> and so it's like. <laughs> 
the whole week was just like one thing after another. Oh. And then the river walks just littered with homeless people. So we're never going back to San Antonio. <laughs> <laughs> but, and then, but so I started looking into it and apparently San Antonio is allegedly one of the most haunted cities in America behind like Savannah and New Orleans, maybe Charleston, Salem. Yeah. Yeah. That's spooky. Especially when Booze just walking around. Yeah, that was super yeah, that, that would have fucked me up. Yeah. I, I could have dealt with Luke's comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, a comment from like that from Luke, I'd be like, well, there's probably just girls laughing in the hallway. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was after I'd seen my dog wandering around the room like somebody's harassing him, you know. So um <clears throat> Jared, let's hear about y'all scripts to the. I'm not done. Oh, we'll keep going. Oh yeah, shit, you're not done. That's only days one and two. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I'll just I'll keep it. I'll just start with the uh, the Rocky Mountain National Park, which is also day two, which is before the Stanley. Uh, so I picked up my brother and his wife at the airport, and we drove into Estes Park, which is only an hour and a half from Denver. Just FYI. Uh, we get there, and I take a wrong turn into a neighborhood, and someone in the car yells, hey, there's moose in that yard. And I've never seen a moose before. So I flip that bitch around. <laughs> and I'm like, we're, we're going to go see some moose. And they weren't moose, but they were huge elk, just huge racks, just chilling in this person's Big yard. Big racks? Yeah, huge racks. Double like D. this. Yeah, <laughs> Man, that I was like a good rack. <laughs> that was the start of it all. Uh, things got crazier from there. Um, the Rocky Mountain has a entry time entry thing right now, so you have to go like a month before and get a ticket for like one to three or nine to eleven, eleven to one those time frames and that's the only time you can go in they also open up a few at the the like five o'clock the next day the day before i mean damn so i didn't get the bear lake pass but i got was able to go to everything else in the park and i don't even know what we drove through because we only drove through but we saw a lot of elk and snow in the middle of june up at 12,000 feet and you can see where avalanches had come down oh, where it cool. just bro broken off yeah and there was one we were looking at we were just sitting there above the timber line no snow but across the valley you could see uh alpine lake one was frozen and then i don't it couldn't have been more than two or three hundred feet below it it may have been more one, it wasn't frozen. It was crazy, the craziest thing I've ever seen. It does. It's amazing what just a tiny little bit of elevation change yeah. will do. I mean, you see it in Big Bend too. It's like desert and then not desert. Yeah. It, it was crazy too because we're above the tree line and you, you look one way and you, you might as well be in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico, just a, kind of a mesa in, the, in just a pasture. Mm -hmm. And then you turn around and you realize you're at 12,000 feet and they're in the yeah. middle of the Rocky Mountains. 
You did end up seeing a moose, didn't you? Yes. So we saw elk, moose, uh, elk and deer. And then on our way out, they had the crossing guards for the sheep. And so we pulled in there. There's a bunch of desert bighorns in this little meadow. And had I not seen them last year in Pecos, I probably would have stayed the rest of the day just staring at them. But I wandered over to the other side of this parking lot to get a picture of the meadow and the mountains in the back. And there's some people over there. And sure as shit, there's a moose just chilling in one of the ponds, just dunking his head and eating and coming back up. <laughs> and alive. So, it's pretty cool. I, I, I talked to one of the rangers who was acting as a crossing guard for the sheep. And she told me that I said, I didn't know that moose were down this far south in, in the United States. And she said, it's only been in the last 10 years or so that they've started to come back into the park. Oh, well, uh, <clears throat> me and Tyler went on a hike a couple of years ago, just outside of Boulder in the um, Indian Peaks wilderness. Mm-hmm. And we were talking to a guy, of course, this was in January, so it was it was dead of winter, but he goes, he goes, we were asking him about bears and he goes, man, you don't need to be worried about the bears. He goes, you need to watch out for the moose because the, the females, I don't know what they're called. Moose cows, probably, I guess. I think they're cows. Yeah. Bull moose cow. Yeah. And, uh, they get, they get extremely aggressive if they have calves around. So they're there in the Spanish Indian peaks wilderness. Yeah. And that's even further South than the, Rocky Mountain National Park. So we That's didn't see any. Too. We didn't see nothing. That's funny that he warned you to be more careful with the moose because they are pretty aggressive, and people don't think they are. I think people have a natural fear of bears. Jerry, let's hear about your trip, John. I'm glad you got to go. Me too. I'm jealous. It's a good trip. You talking about the Smokies? The Smokies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Meg and I took a trip up there to Asheville. We spent a Thursday night in Nashville, kind of hung out around there, did some drinking, did some eating, and, you know, the typical Asheville brewery walking tour. Um, yes, had a good time. Then we uh, went to the – we drove over to the Smokies the next day, stayed at Smokemont Campground a couple nights. Um, I realized pretty quick that I had forgotten my SD card for my camera. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of pissed about that. but You like me for getting a Taco Bell burrito. Yeah. Rookie mistake. Rookie mistake. Yeah. We drove all around the city of Cherokee to find an SD card. No one could help us. There, there are no SD cards in Cherokee. Bryson said the knock may have been able to help you. Huh? The knock in Bryson City at the Nantahala uh, Outdoor Center. Well, yeah, you know, I wasn't driving driving to Bryson City. This is kind of minutes. a far way down. It's like, like twenty so, minutes from Cherokee. Man. We had better things to do, but we, no, you don't have a camera. Well, you know, you know, sometimes, sometimes I real I've realized that if if I'm if I have my camera there, I don't really take in what's around me. 
as much. So it was nice. We uh the weather the weather the first couple of days was kind of crappy. We drove, we went out hiked out to uh Charlie's Bunyan, completely socked in, windy, a little bit misty. Kind of it was pretty wicked looking, but um yeah, one of those videos you posted it, I mean, yeah. I'd be getting off the damn mountain. Man, dude, it was kind of it was ripping up the mountain. It, it was fun though. Um, you know, there, there were, there were these two old, there was this old couple that hired a guy to take him out to, out to the bunion. I imagine they were pretty disappointed when they got there, but. Yeah, Why? Cause they couldn't see nothing or what? Couldn't see a damn thing. We got a lot Whether of. I've been there. Yeah. Dude, I'm telling you like visibility, maybe 50 feet. If that. It really, it was pretty bad, but we, uh, I took Katie to a park in South Carolina one time, drove three uh-huh. hours, get there. Couldn't see more than like five feet in front of your face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got oh, some chewies. Dude. Oh man. Hey, so you've been up, you've been up to Clemens dome, John, right? Yeah. So Barry, yeah. did you, when y'all went to the Smokies, did y'all go up to Clemens dome? I don't think like, Barry's been to the Smokies. So it's a really popular spot. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a, there's a pavement, there's a paved path that goes up to, uh, up to the, up to the dome. It's about 0.5 miles. You know, that's where a lot of the, you know, not so outdoorsy folk go up to, you know, get a good view. Um, but anyway, we're up there. We know we, we had a break in the storm one time. So we were like, let's just, just go up there real quick and see what it's all about. Go up there. And all of a sudden, you know, it, there's rain obviously coming in. It's getting dark as hell. So we come down. We're, we're <coughs> running. We're running down. And I, and I was like, Meg, I mean, what happens right now? Because, you know, there's people coming up the mountain. Just If we just start yelling get off the mountain. You got to turn around. Right? Like, how many people, if, if we would have caused a stampede or something, right. who would have actually listened up there? It's like getting dark. Like, you, like I'm sure these people would have been freaking out. Like there's some, there's something up on that mountain, <laughs> but uh, we didn't, but I'm sure people still question it. Cause we were running cause there was rain on the way. And uh, it was, it was pretty wild. I also asked Meg, I was like, man, how many people do you think they have to get off this, <laughs> off this path? Oh, shit. Like, you think they just drive their golf cart up? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, we got another fat person up there. <laughs> hey, but, <laughs> that's what me and my wife did for our honeymoon. Uh, I mean, no, I'm saying, I'm saying like. <laughs> up, Clemens Dome. <laughs> you see people like, like really hurting, man, like. Oh, my God. Well, I've brought it up several times that they need to adjust trail difficulty rating systems because i don't know how many people i've seen halfway up to guadalupe peak that yeah. should not have even set out on the journey well <laughs> just did it, they're in good enough shape to do it i mean these people were hurting to make it at 0.5 right <laughs> on a paved path like it <laughs> it is tough though yeah. <laughs> it, it is tough but i you know on a, i've seen you hike 14 miles in the Pecos wilderness so clinging is known probably ain't nothing probably true but <laughs> at that time i was not in a yeah. good place <laughs> well and you weren't exactly in a fantastic mood after the 14 mile hike either but 
<laughs> I was having an electrolyte problem that day. <laughs> but no, it, it was good. It, it got really uh, – Sunday when we left, we went to Andrew's Bald, and we set up the hammock, did some reading up there. Uh, the flame azaleas were not in full bloom. They were pretty early. So that was pretty cool. Sales, one thing I wanted to cross off the list. And um, then we, we decided to hike up up the, uh, I don't know, it's like the bypass, but the actual trail, unpaved trail up to the Klingman's Dome. And we did all that. Nice. It was, it was a good trip. We had fun. Oh, man, dude. Okay. So we're uh, – <laughs> listen to this y'all y'all gonna like this so we're 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 sitting we're sitting at our campground so last night we got our we just hiked a bunch we got our feet up on the cooler we're hanging out drinking some beers and uh there's this kid that's been man like on overdrive we're 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 camped out across a group campground there's a huge canopy with with uh their 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 guy lines are like everywhere but they have plink they have they have pink flagging all over the place so obviously marking where, where the, the guy lines are well this kid man he's raising hell he's like on his little bike going looping looping around the campground hauling ass and uh he i guess he decided to ditch his bike and, and scooter that he had and he's running around well meg and i are watching this kid he decides he's gonna run around the group canopy huge canopy i'm talking like you fit 30 or 40 people underneath this thing anyway guy lines are marked this kid catches the cleanest clothesline i've ever seen <laughs> in my life i'm talking like he's running full speed never sees it never when, when it catches decapitated his, dude when it catches his <laughs> neck his his feet are still running like <laughs> as he's getting slung up yeah. and so when he gets vertical and like let me tell you like the it didn't give the line didn't give like it still had tension so it pulled him back so like he's perfectly parallel with the ground he gets pulled back slingshots back <laughs> i've never seen anything like him on dude he so he's like sitting on the ground and mega like Meg and i are like oh shit like we're, <laughs> we're losing it but uh Eventually, the kid gets up. You can tell, like, he's out of breath. Like, he's oh, yeah. Breath knocked out. He just got whooped. Dude, and, like, he has his hands on his hips, and he's, <laughs> it's like, just trying to breathe. But, man, he was, uh, he was running later, man. It was, it was insane. That's I'm just not- some good old-fashioned camping entertainment, though, when you man. get something like that going on. Right. It- <laughs> man, it brought hours of. <laughs> like seeing it like, i've never seen anything so pure in my life like that <laughs> the cleanest clothesline like you you don't it doesn't you don't even see that on we it's like a literal clothesline too. literal clothesline <laughs> on we like you know wrestling no <laughs> shitty, shitty reference wwf <laughs> wwe whatever the hell oh yeah oh yeah called. you forgot a w in there that's why i didn't no but it was called anyway yeah good trip good trip good good well uh you guys got any i hadn't been doing shit so i'm glad <laughs> y'all are out there living your life 
You're getting your miles in, though. Yeah, I done. I have only missed one run in the last, I don't know, 40, yeah. 45, 50 days. I almost missed today, but I made it happen. Boy, that, those are the runs you gotta you gotta do the most when you're when you're not feeling it. Yeah, or hungover. The That's... problem when you do that, especially out here, it's real hot, humid. When you finally do get up and get get after it. Yeah, well, it was it was real hot and humid here. That's why I ran on a treadmill. You just gotta eat it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> just gotta eat it. It's the consequences. John's like, well, if it's hot and humid during the race, could <laughs> be. I'm probably not going to drink a fifth of Tito's and 19 beers before the night of the race. <laughs> I, so. I don't trust you not to. <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, a give God. and take. There's lots of factors at play. And I still got it done. So, uh, had more I wanted to talk about, but we're running long. So, we'll. We'll circle back on that. It's not time sensitive material. So, Jared, you got any closing thoughts? Just keep getting those miles in. Yep, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try. John D. Oh, Jared. Uh, Meg here has officially signed up for her first marathon. That's what I'm talking about the New River Marathon in Fleetwood, North Carolina. Ooh, nice. Yeah, it's a good one. A beast. Yeah, no <laughs> better, no better place to have a first. Is that in May? That no, they. So I think they're going to keep the new schedule in October. Okay, because cool. they were they were supposed to do it. COVID, COVID changed it. But anyway, October of this year or next year? October second, coming up in a couple months. Three months. She's still in for the 25k Paladero. Yep. That is Saturday. Is it? It is Saturday morning. October. I'll be up that way that weekend. Why don't you run it too, John? I'm gonna be Come doing do, something else that weekend. Come do the four miler. <laughs> Come do the four miler. Half I'm marathon. Doing, hey, I'm man. Six you, hour. You we might that. as well. Let's just talk about it. You owe that half marathon <laughs> an ass whooping. John, what did you sign up for? I signed up for the Buffalo Mountain six-hour race in Woo! like nowhere, Tennessee, as preparation for the Tennessee Mile, which I'm also doing the six-mile six-hour race. I thought you'd signed up for a twelve-hour on one of them. No, or an eight-hour. I don't know. Either way, six-hour. The at the Tennessee Mile, the eight-hour actually starts at midnight. Oh, what? Cool. I want to do something like that. I've got some friends running the last call 50 in Colorado this weekend. Yeah, it's this weekend. It's 50-mile race that starts at midnight, and you got to take a shot of whiskey before you start it. Man. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. I hadn't done a whole lot of night running. Is it Evan Williams? <laughs> Probably. I, I, I hope you know, don't pick. I actually had those. I went and I was reading about it, and there's a shit ton of rules about taking the whiskey shot. And I'm like, I just want to know what kind of whiskey it is. <laughs> but I know, golly, I know at least six people doing it from Dang, right here. You get right here in Midland, people, Texas. There's people that get on that one race that are all local. 
Mm-hmm. So you'll see races and there's a bunch of people from Midland and they're like, why the hell are there a bunch of people from Midland, Texas on this race? Yeah. This Most tennis, the Tennessee miles got a bunch of people from Rome, Georgia, which is where Chad Wright Chad Wright's from. Yeah. Yeah. I think this race all I'm pretty sure I may be wrong and I don't know if any of them listen, but I'm pretty sure all the ones doing this one are also doing Leadville. So they're doing this one as a, Training run makes sense. The Leadville hundred. For those who don't know, the Tennessee Mile is run by the same people that do the Mid-State Mile, which uh, just happened two weekends ago, three weekends ago when this airs. And that's they run a one point one mile loop every twenty minutes until no, there's no one left. And they went 120 something miles. Yeah. I'm telling you, I got really into that shit. I was like staying up all night watching Instagram stories, (laughs) which is not, I'm not usually, usually don't give a shit about that kind of stuff. Yeah. I'll I'll just wait till they get the final results. Yeah. (laughs) That one I, I got into though. And then Chad, Wright, He was telling who won. He was telling a story. when it got down to him and the one other guy the other guy goes well chad it's just us two what are we going to do about this and chad goes what do you mean what are we going to do about it and he goes we're going to keep running this loop until you drop out and then i'm going to run one more (laughs) it's like (laughs) that's exactly what happened he's doing the 24 hour at the tennessee miles I'm sure he'll. So how how are those on the time ones? It's not it's not a certain. You just go for six hours. Yeah, so they're running the same loop as the Midstate Mile, the 1.1 mile with 350 feet of elevation gain, just until your time's up, and try to see how many miles you can get. Okay, okay. And the winner is who gets the most miles. What day is that again? That one is on December fourth. December 4th. Shoot, that could be an adventure on the weather. Yeah. At least around here. Then it's in Nashville, essentially. So, yeah. Franklin, right? Yeah. Maybe I'll see Dave. Yeah. Just go see him. I've seen him. I actually came across that picture I have with him the other day. So, all right. Well, good luck with those, John. I've had some schedule changes. I uh, was originally planned to do the Sky Island 50K in September, <clears throat> then the Paladuro 50 miler in October. And on the advice of my coach and many conversations with my, my close friend circle and wife, I have decided to do the 25k at sky island the 50k at paladuro and now planning for the 50 miler at big bend ranch state park in january so stand by to get some i feel good about my decision i do too i did not come to it easily but (laughs) he did not (laughs) Called Jared one day. He didn't want to talk about it. What are we talking about? <laughs> exactly. I was, tra- I was taking care of business. 
So, anyways, John, you got anything? Jared said get those miles in like he always does. Yeah, um, I just want everyone to know their status and get tested for Giardia. So, Thank you. It's yeah. important. It's best you stay home till you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Well, I don't have nothing. Keep reading. Keep going outside. Thanks for playing along. Thank you for listening to the Bourbon Bookshelf Podcast. Our aim with this show is to encourage people to read widely, enjoy good beverages in moderation, get outside, and have good conversations. We hope we can meet this goal while serving as good company for you, the listener. If you enjoy the show, please let us know by subscribing to and reviewing the podcast and following us on Instagram. If you really enjoy the podcast, please consider making a small monthly donation to help us continually improve the show. You can find the link to do this in the show notes for this episode or on our Instagram page at bourbon underscore bookshelf. Thank you and we'll see you next time.